Welcome everyone to Mississippi Speaks. The topic of today's conversation is Medicaid expansion. Why do we need it? This conversation is sponsored by One Voice, which is led by its executive director, Nishambi Lambright Haynes. It's also sponsored by the Mississippi State Conference NAACP, which is led by its executive director, Dr. Corey Wiggins, and state president, Reverend Robert James. This event is also sponsored by the Institute for the Advancement of Minority Health, which is led by its CEO, Dr. Sandra Melvin. My name is Kyra Roby. I am the policy analyst at One Voice and the host for today's event. Before we begin our discussion, I would like to introduce our esteemed panelists. First, we have Dr. Sandra Melvin. Dr. Melvin is the CEO of the Institute for the Advancement of Minority Health. Dr. Melvin's undergraduate work includes a Bachelor of Science degree from Tougaloo College and a Bachelor of Science degree from the University of Mississippi Clinical Laboratory Sciences. Her graduate studies have culminated in a Master of Combined Science degree in Biology from Mississippi College, a Master of Public Health and Epidemiology from Jackson State University, and a Doctor of Public Health and Epidemiology from Jackson State University. In May 2019, after 20 years of public health practice as an epidemiologist, Dr. Melvin founded and currently serves as the Chief Executive Officer of the Institute for the Advancement of Minority Health. The Institute was founded in response to the need for the development and implementation of public health interventions that includes the voice of the community and um, place health equity, and that places health equity at the forefront of decision making. Thanks so much, Dr. Melvin, for joining us today. We also have, as an esteemed panelist, Dr. Corey Wiggins. Corey is the Executive Director of the Mississippi State Conference NAACP. He completed his undergraduate studies at Alcorn State University and received a Master of Science degree in Public Health with an emphasis in Health Policy and a PhD from the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Corey has furthered his training through numerous fellowships. And while growing up in rural Mississippi, Corey has been uh, driven with the simple mission to serve his community. Corey has long served as an advocate for equitable health care access. His work in health advocacy has focused on ensuring that communities have all the resources, including housing, education, and infrastructure that supports healthy communities. Thanks, Corey, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So let's talk about Medicaid expansion. Mississippi is one of 12 states that has not yet expanded Medicaid. And I do include Missouri in that 12 because although Missouri has adopted Medicaid expansion, it has not actually yet implemented the program. Currently, over 200,000 uninsured Mississippians are in the Medicaid coverage gap, meaning they do not meet the income requirements for the Affordable Care Act marketplace assistance, but they still do not, they still do not earn enough to afford private coverage or they do not have coverage from an employer. This discussion will provide information about what expect, Medicaid expansion means for the state of Mississippi. Dr. Melvin, I'd like to start with you. Can you just talk a lot uh, generally about why Medicaid expansion is important for the state? Sure. Uh, first, I'd like to say thank you for allowing me to have this discussion um, with the other, uh, with Dr. Wiggins. And it's an honor to work with One Voice and Mississippi State Conference of the NAACP, uh, particularly because I'm also the health chair for the NAACP. And it's really important when we think about Medicaid expansion for us to understand what that means in terms of health outcomes for citizens of the state of Mississippi. And I think that the COVID-19 pandemic has done a great job in highlighting that. Uh, without Medicaid expansion, thousands of Mississippians will be without health care coverage. And so what does that mean in basic terms? What that means is if people have to worry about whether or not they can afford the medical care, they often opt not to do it, which means that they are diagnosed later, and it also means that because they've been diagnosed later, they have a higher probability of death. And for black Mississippians, that's a bigger problem because most individuals in the state of Mississippi are covered through their employers. And so if you have a job that does not provide you with health care coverage, then you have to figure out how to pay for it out of pocket or you have to figure out how to take care of yourself without coverage. And for many Mississippians, especially if you're not um, making a living wage, that is just not a solution that will result in good health outcomes. 
And as a result, what we see here in Mississippi, in Mississippi is that more black Mississippians have higher rates of cardiovascular disease, including diabetes, hypertension, which can all, and obesity, which can mean poor health outcomes for mothers and babies here in Mississippi. So when we think about whether or not to expand Medicaid, when we think about whether or not really the question is to increase coverage, health insurance coverage for all Mississippians, then what we're really saying is that we don't think everyone deserves the right to have insurance so that they can pay for their health care. Thank you so much for putting that in plain terms for us. Um, Corey, can you talk a little bit about, uh, Dr. Melvin talked about um, how Medicaid expansion will help improve access to care and outcomes, how it can help um, reduce racial and ethnic disparities. Um, she talked about uncompensated care and costs. Can you talk about uh, Medicaid expansion impact, particularly on rural communities and what that may mean? Yeah, no, uh, look, thank you all for hosting this conversation and just appreciate Dr. Melvin for the work that she does as the Institute. Um, she's really on the front line of, of addressing issues around health disparities here in Mississippi. Um, you know, this issue of Medicaid expansion and what it means to rural communities, I think you can look at it both from a health perspective and also from an economic perspective. Uh, from a health perspective, uh, all of those things that Dr. Melvin talked about are all important and all vital uh, to improving the health of our communities, to keeping a healthy, uh, um, you know, keeping our, the citizens of Mississippi healthy. The other part, though, is if you think about it in our rural communities uh, and you start to look at the economies in our rural communities, there are certain institutions that are, are, are anchor institutions. For example, when you think about schools, particularly public schools, public schools in our rural communities employ a lot of people from the community. Um, when you think about the healthcare system, right, whether you're talking about rural hospitals, um, if you're talking about the local clinics, if you're talking about uh, all of those ancillary positions they have, and it's not just physicians and doctors, right? The people who work at the front desk in the hospital, the folks who uh, are, are, are managing and driving the EMR and ambulances, all these folks, the people who are responsible for accounting are employed by healthcare institutions in rural communities. So in Mississippi, we have a number of, of hospitals who have closed over the past several years um, or shut down certain services uh, because not only just we have high rates of uninsured, it's just, you know, not having the resources to run and staff uh, these hospitals in rural communities, which leaves the community suffering. So in this context of Medicaid expansion, it, it could be, it could have been, or can be a shot in the arm for many of our hot rural hospitals and communities that are struggling, uh, not only in, in creating more access to health care, but ensuring that those hospitals are able to create more jobs here in the state. Thanks, uh, Corey, for putting that into perspective as well. And Dr. Melvin, I want to come back to you because I want to talk a little bit more about the disparities that exist. And I don't know quite um, if we all realize exactly what those disparities are, those existing disparities, and how um, the current uh, pandemic has exasperated those disparities. And then I know, again, you mentioned about how Medicaid expansion can help. But just to outline what those disparities are so that we um, are more aware as a community of how these disparities exist currently. So right now, what we do know is that by not expanding Medicaid, we're we're not we're ensuring that um, at least seven million women in this country are not uh, do not have affordable health care. Um, and what we also know is that in terms of the pandemic. We know that people with underlying conditions have a more severe case of COVID-19. And so if, if people cannot go to the, um, their primary care physician to get treated for things like diabetes, obesity, uh, hypertension, and other chronic conditions, then we know that they're already at risk for more severe forms of COVID-19. And so what that means for us is that if we're already in a, a sickened state of health, and then you have something like the pandemic to come through, then that means that that person is going to suffer more. And when we look at the rates of obesity, we look at the rates of hypertension, we look at the rates of diabetes, what we see is that African-Americans die more from chronic conditions and they're often treated later or diagnosed later because of those conditions. And so what that means is it places them at a, really an undue risk for more severe cases of COVID. Now, in terms of mothers and children, 
we know that poor birth outcomes are related to chronic conditions. So if these women are not able to go to the hospital or to the doctor to get treated for underlying conditions such as hypertension, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and get those things in check while they're pregnant, during, before, and after pregnancy, then that means that they're going to have poor birth outcomes such as infant mortality, low birth weight, preterm birth. All of those things are associated with chronic conditions. And so when we look at where we are in Mississippi in terms of health disparities before the pandemic, then we know that the people who are going to suffer the most as a result of a disease that affects people who have these conditions worse, we know that we're going to be the people that suffer the worst health outcomes. And Dr. Melvin, can you talk a little bit about the requirements for Medicaid? Like who exactly is in this gap? What so now I will tell you, I'm not an economist, so spitting the numbers right off the top of my head, I'm not going to tell you I can do that. Mm -hmm. But And so that may be something that Corey can probably give us more information about in terms of who falls into the gap in terms of the numbers, um, the percentages, poverty level. Just generally. Mm -hmm. We talked, we touched so, on some of those communities. So the low yeah. income women, uh, lower wage earners, uh, people who barely make minimum wage would be those people who would fall into the gap. Thank you. So, yeah, that's exactly what we were looking for. And Corey, did you have um, any additional insight into that? No, I think uh, what Dr. Melvin um, sort of described who falls into this gap uh, is right on spot and on the point. I mean, I think there's this misconception out there of when you're talking about Medicaid expansion that you have folks out here who, you know, who are not working or doing all these other things. And sometimes you want to get these negative labels. Uh, I think what's most important to understand is Medicaid expansion is about working Mississippians who, who jobs, who may be self-employed, any other type of way, may have access to health insurance. Uh, and Medicaid expansion is one tool and tactic or strategy that can be used to, at the very least, to make sure that they have access to health insurance as they're going about their business, trying to support and do those things uh, for their families. And Kyle, I just want to add that when people about Medicaid expansion, they immediately think about people who are sitting at home not working. There's mm -hmm. also a term called the working poor. Those are people that get up every day, work 40 hours a week, and often more than that. But because of what their pay rate is, they don't qualify for Medicaid. So they, they go to work just enough not to qualify for any benefits, which means that if they get sick, if their family get members get sick, then they still can't get the care that they need. They have, they're the families that have to make a decision between whether or not to get a prescription filled or whether or not to buy food for the table, whether or not to go to the doctor, whether or not to, to put food on the table. And so those are the people that we're talking about, too, when we're talking about who Medicaid uh, expansion will affect. And I think that it's been highlighted from COVID-19. You know, most people in Mississippi had employer-based insurance. But when everyone had to go home, we saw people were losing their jobs. And so more people needed that assistance. And we saw that in terms of health insurance coverage and not being able to go to the doctor because now they don't have insurance. But we also saw it in food insecurity. People that we didn't think would need that food now needed it because of the fact that they were no longer employed. So it seems as like uh, as though now is as good a time as ever for the state to expand Medicaid. But before we talk about why maybe it hasn't and what some of the options are for us to advocate um, to that point, Corey, can you talk a little bit about the background about um, Medicaid expansion in terms of kind of federal legislation? So we know in 2010, the Affordable Care Act did a lot to expand Medicaid. It expanded Medicaid to all Americans under 65 whose family income was at or below 133% of the federal poverty level. Um, and, um, you know, that particular piece of legislation did a lot to expand Medicaid. And then um, recently, the American Rescue Plan, um, federal legislation coming from COVID federal aid has also provided or has provided additional benefits for states to expand Medicaid. Can you just lay that background for us in terms of what has been done on the federal level to um, push for states to expand Medicaid? 
Sure. I mean, I think the, the thing that people recognize and is recognized at the federal level is that having access to health insurance is important. Uh, families and folks should be able to have and be able to get the health care that they need. Uh, so initially when the, when the ACA, the Affordable Care Act, was passed, there were incentives put in that for states to take advantage of when they expanded Medicaid. Uh, and those incentives had sort of a time period on it. Uh, and without going into all of the health policy jargon, essentially what it did was uh, the way the program is structured, a state pays a portion of Medicaid and then the federal government pays a portion of Medicaid, uh, which is called FNAP. The way that works, Mississippi, because we're such a high poverty state, uh, have one of the best FMAP rates, rates, which means that the federal government pays a lot more money uh, for our, our folks who are Medicaid. And so under the Affordable Care Act, uh, it increased that match. And so even as we look to the way the most uh, recent uh, relief bill that came out of the, the Congress, when we look at uh, incentives that have been put in place in fighting back and responding to COVID, they gave an excellent incentive for, for those states who have yet to expand Medicaid, that they could have uh, an additional sort of bump in that, in that cover or that rate that they pay. And essentially what it means in sort of the nuts and bolts and money terms is that over the next two years, if the state was to expand Medicaid, they can get an additional $890 million in federal funding infused into the state. Uh, and so that's what we're talking about. We're talking about a side of that one arm, the federal dollars uh, coming into the state uh, and also creating more opportunities for folks to have health care. Thank you, Corey. And Dr. Melvin, do you would you like to comment on kind of this this federal incentive incentive and how important that may be um, in um, in terms of the federal level to push Medicaid expansion? Before we talk about kind of what can be done on the state level, how important is it to have uh, that support from the federal government? And what do you think that that means for uh, states like Mississippi? Um, what can we learn from what's working in other states? Do you have any insight into any of that in terms of outcomes and the success of the expansion? Well, based on what I've read about Medicaid expansion and the benefits of it for this state, the fact that we have not expanded Medicaid means that we stand to put $20 billion back, give it back to the federal government because we have opted not to do that. And so in terms of health, what that means for rural communities is that when a person shows up to the emergency room and cannot pay, the hospital have to, has to take on that cost. And, and so that's cost that's not being reimbursed. They still offer the care, but they're not being reimbursed. And what we see because of that is that many more rural hospitals are closing because they can only take on so many patients with so many underlying conditions or so many emergency conditions and operate without being uh, reimbursed. So when we're talking about giving back 20 billion, with a B, dollars, uh, because we opted not to expand Medicaid, we're talking about closing uh, hospitals in rural communities because we can't afford to keep them open. We can't afford to pay staff. We can't afford to keep the lights on. Then what we're saying is that um, whatever our political views are about Medicaid expansion are more important than the lives of Mississippians that we're losing every day because we can't give them the, the care that they need. And I think what the term is uncompensated um, reimbursement. So they're doing the, the service, they're providing the service, but they're not being reimbursed because they're telling the federal government that they don't need it. And so when we don't expand, we're telling them we don't need the money to operate our rural community, our rural hospitals, which we know is not the case because we know what the disparities look like here in the state. And we've seen, you know, how this program has worked in other states. So we do have, you know, some sort of idea or big picture about what the success of such implementation would look like. But in Mississippi, um, we again have not yet expanded Medicaid and um, within the legislator, um, legislature, um, there um, hasn't been a Medicaid um, expansion bill passed. We know from leadership um, in the state has been against um, expanding Medicaid. And Corey, one of, the main, um, one of the main narratives about not expanding Medicaid is that 
um, there's talk or conversations that Mississippi can't afford to do so. But I know uh, studies such as one coming from the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities suggests that, um, especially with the federal incentives that are in place, that Mississippi could receive an additional $890 million in federal funding if it were to expand Medicaid. And that there are all of these incentives right now to do so. Um, so why do you think the narrative um, has been put out there that the state cannot afford to um, expand Medicaid? And how do you think the state would benefit economically from Medicaid expansion? I know you touched on this um, just a little bit earlier. Yeah, um, you know, what I would say is, is Kyra, is the what's being put out there from our, our leaders about Medicaid expansion, expansion really isn't even the narrative. I believe what people are given is just excuses. Uh, and I have no sort of um, experience or even understand the base basis for that excuse, right? So, you know, anytime that you're having a logical debate or conversation with someone, um, you know, if you think about folks who may have been on a debate team or if you're having an argument with somebody, you sort of lay out your case and lay out your facts. Uh, and this is what we know. Uh, we know that if we were to expand Medicaid in Mississippi, about over 200,000 Mississippians would benefit for that. And so if we think about, you know, what is it, how can we be making policy in a way to support our community? Making sure folks have access to health care is one of those ways we can do it. Um, we know that if we were to expand Medicaid, we could create over 20,000 jobs in the state. Oftentimes we talk about uh, the need for jobs. You know, we have high unemployment rates in places and in communities across the state. And if we're talking about job creation, uh, then expanding Medicaid, Medicaid is one of those things to do. So, you know, we have, you know, our, our state legislature convenes each year and they come up and try to develop policies that are intended and supposed to, right, support and help Mississippians to make this place a better, uh, make this state a better place uh, to retain the type of talent, to retain all those things that we know our state uh, can be. Uh, however, we refuse just one sort of policy uh, option, which is, you know, making sure that Folks in the state have health care uh, and have access to health care as a way to support folks in, in communities across the state. And I don't have and I just I, I don't understand the rationale for opposition. Now, there's one thing to say, hey, we need to have a policy decision about a conversation about how does this work? How do we get there? Because what it is is right now is we have a problem. We have a problem that Mississippi is uninsured. We have a problem that we have hospitals and rural hospitals across the state that are closing down. Uh, we have a problem where we need to make sure that, that there are well-paying, good-paying jobs to provide benefits to Mississippians, uh, and we have Medicaid expansion as a potential solution. Uh, we have yet to have a conversation and engage uh, and open an honest dialogue about how do we make that a possibility. So this this idea of a, of a narrative, I, I just don't know. I don't know what the opposition, I'm sure there's some political calculation behind it, but as it relates to everyday Mississippians, um, their voices haven't been heard by members of the state legislature. And, and Carla, I just want to add something to that. Um, because we do have this high rate of chronic conditions, that means that it translates into a higher cost for health care for all Mississippians. So the rationale that we can't afford it uh, doesn't make sense when you think about the fact that whether or not we expand Medicaid, someone has to pay for the medical care that is received here. And with more Mississippians having chronic conditions, that translates into higher health care costs for us all. So it sounds more like the state cannot afford not to um, expand Medicaid. Um, and so, Corey, I, I want to um, go back to you as well, because I know the um, Mississippi State Conference NAACP was a part of several uh, nonprofit organizations and business leaders and healthcare advocates. That, um, were, that was working on um, an initiative, a ballot initiative around Medicaid expansion. Um, but we know uh, the Supreme Court's ruling in regard to the medical marijuana ballot initiative and the challenge to that actually um, jeopardized kind of the ongoing or put on hold kind of uh, any kind of uh, future ballot initiative processes. So can you explain um, that how the ballot initiative process works. I know people are interested in it and what that means for um, or what that meant for the Medicaid ballot initiative. Yeah, sure. Um, well, you know, the big picture is, is that Mississippi uh, has a process or had a process 
that allow citizens to put issues on the ballot um, to have everyday Mississippians to vote. vote. Um, you know, we've had other issues on the ballot, uh, you know, from the state flag uh, to uh, many people remember years ago, there was a referendum around funding for public education here in Mississippi. Uh, and most recently, there also was a ballot initiative around medical marijuana here in Mississippi, which really sort of drove uh, the reasoning or rationale of why, because that particular ballot initiative was challenged uh, in state court around the constitutionality of, of the ballot initiative process, particularly, specifically, the citizen-led, citizen-driven ballot initiative process. And ultimately, the Supreme Court ruling ruled that um, ruling nullified the process in which citizens can put an issue on the ballot. Well, that happened right after a, a number of organizations across the state uh, sort of coalesced and around, let's take this issue of Medicaid, Medicaid expansion to the people. Well, the question is, another part is, is like, well, how did we even get to this point? We got to this point for, for years and years, Mississippians have been advocating and has been asking and requesting our state leadership to expand Medicaid. Uh, when you think about what you have to do for policy pushes, right, all those things have been done. Research has been done. Um, um, calling our lawmakers, doing all those things you do for advocates have been done to encourage our lawmakers to, to expand Medicaid in the state. We even have examples of states who have expanded Medicaid uh, and can learn from them to make sure that we have a Medicaid expansion program that works and works for the benefits benefit of Mississippians. And after all of that, all of that work uh, with many families across the state continue to, to suffer because of the inaction of the state legislature, we have a diverse group of, of organizations, NACP included, with folks like uh, physician groups, hospital associations, um, organizations like, like One Voice, social workers, all of these different groups, advocacy partners like Children's Defense Fund and others who, who for a long have advocated for Medicaid expansion, uh, but came together and say, well, look, if the legislature won't do it and people overwhelmingly support access to health care, let's allow the citizens of this state to vote on it. And so that's not even how we sort of got to this point of a ballot initiative around, a ballot initiative around Medicaid expansion. But... You know, with the Supreme Court ruling, they nullified the citizen-driven uh, process, and there's been a lot of conversations, I think, afterwards about you know, whether or not this pro this process or the ballot initial process will be made available to citizens again. Uh, there are a number of groups and organizations who are looking at that um, to, to, to sort of look at that process and advocate for that process, particularly when you have inaction on on big policy issues like Medicaid expansion that can impact so many that positively impacts so many Mississippians. Before we get to another question, um, I'm looking at, at the chat um, and um, we mentioned that approximately uh, 200,000 Mississippians fall within that Medicaid coverage gap here in the state, but really all Mississippians would benefit from it uh, because of, um, of when we talked about uninsured costs, we talked about disparities, we talked about health outcomes for children and, and families. And so we know that Medicaid expansion will really be something that would benefit all Mississippians. And we talked about um, the latest kind of news in terms of the ballot initiative process. And we talked about the legislative inaction um, around Medicaid expansion. But um, what can we do now to sustain our advocacy efforts and ensure that the expansion of Medicaid happens in Mississippi uh, fairly soon? Uh, Dr. Melvin, can you talk about some of the work that you all are doing and what we can do to make sure that this happens and that we continue our advocacy efforts? So just to build on what um, Corey said earlier, um, the research is out there that in states that implemented Medicaid expansion, their health outcomes are better. And while we know that over the past couple of years, maternal health has improved generally in society, the gap still remains when you look at white mothers and black mothers and their birth outcomes. 
So we know that Medicaid expansion would definitely help. Now, what we can do to help push um, Medicaid expansion, first of all, Medicaid expansion is really more about um, providing health equity. That's what it's about. It's about making sure that resources are accessible to everyone that needs to use them. And so the first thing we need to do, because we've done research, we have hard numbers that show that in places where they have expanded Medicaid, they have seen dramatic decreases in the health disparities in those communities. So we know it works. Um, I think that from the uh, public health side, we need to do more education. Um, I do think that also the city component could be, needs to be strengthened on our part in terms of making sure that people understand that it matters who you put in these offices because people have to vote along their interests. And so if you're putting, if we're putting people in into positions to vote for us and they're not making the choices that benefit us, then we need to start looking at who we're sending uh, to the legislature to, to vote for those things. Now, I think Corey is... Uh, more of an expert in terms of the ballot initiatives and what works in, that, in those situations. What I will say is that the ballot initiatives are the citizens' rights or the citizens' voices on these issues. And so when you have people overturning those things, then what it says to me is that we may have a bigger problem uh, in terms of you know us having a voice and then someone else overturning them. So we need to look at what that means and how we need to act as a community to, to address those issues. When we vote for things, then those, that's our voice and it should be heard. And that's the same thing with who we send to the, to the um, legislature to vote on our behalf. So I think a lot of education, a lot of advocacy, a lot of making sure that the people that we vote for are going to vote in our best interest or are going to speak for us when they go to the legislature. Thank you, Dr. Melvin. So we're talking about education, we're talking about health advocacy, and we're talking about holding um, our elected public officials accountable. Um, Corey, what else, what else, what other options do we have on the table? Yeah, I mean, I think Dr. Melvin hit those things, um, um, or the nail right, right on the head, particularly about the advocacy piece, right? And I think that we have made, the argument has been made around like morally why you should make sure that people have access to health care because it's the right thing to do. Uh, the economic arguments have been made, the, the, the arguments around health care and health care costs and all of those things have, have, have been made. And so the thing is, is just taking those arguments, taking that information and taking it to your lawmakers, right? So if you had to say like, you know, I'm sitting here, I'm watching this now, uh, I do believe that the Medicaid expansion should become a reality in Mississippi, what can I do today? But one thing you can do today is talk to your lawmaker, talk to your state senator, talk to your state representative, call the, the speaker's office, the lieutenant governor's office, your governor's office, and say, at the very least, I want to, I want to see Medicaid expansion done in Mississippi. Uh, I want to see an effort put towards it to figure out a solution to the healthcare challenges that exist in my community, in our community. I want to ensure that my local hospital, my rural hospital does not close and I lose my job. Uh, or, or my wife lose my job, lose their job, or, or my children, grandchildren can go somewhere. If they're playing a ball game on a Friday night or doing a weekday at practice, uh, where I can just go, I can take them to the hospital to get the care they need, and I don't have to take them two to three counties over to access an emergency room. Uh, they also need to be telling them, like, well, look, you all need to be having hearings on this. If we want to go about the legislative process, if we elect members to do the work of the business of the people, uh, then we should encourage our lawmakers to do that. Let's have hearings on this. Let's let's lay out how do we address these issues in our communities. These are things that that we have yet to see done around an important issue, just on the ability to get healthy, right? And that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about these broad sort of big um, ideas that 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 are not practical. We're talking about something very practical. Practical. The ability to go to a doctor. Right. And, and have the ability to pay for. I saw one of the questions sort of talking about medical debt, which it remains an issue. You know, the reason that we have so many bankruptcies, bankruptcies in the state, uh, a lot of them was driven by medical debt. Like what in our right mind would promote us to put us in a position to have folks filing the bank filing bankruptcy because they can't pay for health care. Right. So those are just some immediate things that folks can do in addition to you know, nonstop advocacy, talking to your lawmakers and talking to the folks about what you want to see done uh, here in the state. 
Thank you so much for um, for kind of propelling us to make sure that we take it upon ourselves and that we're responsible enough to advocate for such this important topic. Um, and that it takes each and every one of us to do that in order to make change here in the state. Um, we um, are also monitoring the chat. So if you have any questions um, or comments, feel free to drop them in the chat and we will lift those up. Um, we also had a question about um, addressing the high cost of deductibles for those with some health insurance, but um, having to put off doctor visits or surgeries because they can't afford the deductible. And I think Dr. Melvin talked about this earlier about what they may mean, especially for um, health outcomes for black Mississippians. Um, would any either of our panelists like to address that particular topic? Well, I think yeah. that's just related. Go ahead, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, well, well, look, I was, was going to ask, that was going to make me have to pull out, uh, thinking back to when I used to teach health insurance and managed care. Uh, to college students, but ultimately, uh, you know, there could be a sort of medical plans or, or, or insurance plans that are that are available to people. Some are high deductible, low deductible plans, and all those types of things. I think the the point the the, the point to to sort of lift up is is that again, we are talking about the basic ability for people to access access healthcare. Right, that's what we're talking about, and that shouldn't be a hard push. Or you have to make this extravagant case, extravagant case to get our state and our leadership to do. Uh, I think, as the, the uh, commenter pointed out, is that you have a number of Mississippians, right, are filing bankruptcy because of medical debt. Expanding Medicaid addresses that. Uh, the reason that folks end up in high deductible plans um, and pushing off much-needed health care and active health care is because of the cost of health care. Or specifically, cost of health insurance. The Medicaid expansion is one way of, of addressing it. Without going down the whole classroom, you know, we actually one way. It, it, it may not sound may sound right, but it actually uh, is right. Is that one way you can actually reduce the overall cost of health care, which I think Dr. Melvin mentioned, is make sure more folks have health insurance. That dry helps to drive down costs of folks who who currently have health insurance. Because what happens now is you have more people who can pay into the system, which results in less uncompensated care that's being passed on to those folks who have currently have health insurance. And um, one other question that is in the chat is um, regarding the number of Mississippians that are using the Affordable Care Act. And what steps are being taken to ensure that Mississippians are taking full advantage of the current um, ACA incentives? Well, I don't have the number that have signed up because of the Affordable Care Act, but I do have the number who are covered with Mississippi Medicaid. And so here in Mississippi, about 755,000 people are currently covered with Mississippi Medicaid, but only about 56,000 of those people are considered low income. And as you mentioned earlier, Kyra, about 210,000 more people could have insurance if they would, if we would expand Medicaid. So we know that almost 800,000 Mississippians are currently covered with Medicaid. And so if we actually um, expanded Medicaid, we could actually take care of at least 210,000 more. But even out of that number, 755,000, only 56,000. Uh, people are considered low income. And I think that people, a lot of the information that we get sometimes is misinformation. There are a lot of reasons that people use Medicaid. One of the uh, biggest ones that come to mind is if you have been diagnosed with renal disease, then you might be eligible for Medicaid. So people think that it's just low income, poor people who are using Medicaid, but that's not the case. Uh, disabled people use Medicaid, people with renal conditions. There are a lot of criteria for why people are on Medicaid. So when we make decisions about whether or not to give people access and we think that we're doing it based on some stereotype, we really need to just take a moment to really look at what those criteria are and what the reasons are that people are on Medicaid so that we make the best decision. You're not just hurting low-income poor people when you make a decision not to expand. You're also affecting people who are entitled to Medicaid for other reasons. And so as it is with the case on a lot of things, 
a lot of times we don't want to help uh, underserved communities, but it's not just underserved communities that are using Medicaid. It, it really does impact all of us. And Corey, would you like to add to that as well? Yeah, no, I think, the, I guess the other thing I would add is, is that, you know, Medicaid expansion is, was one component of the Affordable Care Act, right? And you have so many other components of ACA that so many people across this country in Mississippi benefit from. For example, right, uh, the ability for people to stay on uh, their parents' insurance up until the age of 26. Uh, so, you know, you had somebody, you have a student or a college student, um, you could cut, continue to cover them and make sure they have uh, health insurance. Uh, when you think about the ability to, to be able to um, get offsetting payments for um, different preventative health measures. So, so, so there were so many different components that were made available under the Affordable Care Act that right now today that so many Mississippians uh, benefit from. Uh, however, uh, you know, the, 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 the Medicaid expansion part and component of uh, was the part uh, that our state has opted out of, or opted not to do, or opted not to, to accept, uh, which continues to leave uh, over 200,000 Mississippians without health insurance. And I think Tori just brought up a really good point about the preventative care component of the Affordable Care Act. When you diagnose people earlier, that means your health care costs are lower, but it also means that people have a chance to fight whatever it is they have because they've gone to the preventative care. That's your pap smears, that's your mammograms, the, the things that we do to take care of ourselves before that disease becomes such a problem that we know we have a problem and we have to go to a doctor. So that preventative care was really a really important part of the Affordable Care Act that I don't think people thought about. You didn't have to pay for your yearly exams, partly because of the Affordable Care Act. They wanted to make sure that we could get diagnosed early, that we could take care of ourselves better by going to the doctor sooner and also establishing relationships with a primary care physician earlier. Thank you guys for um and ladies for bringing <laughs> uh, or addressing that um, that particular question. And when I see another comment in the chat about um, getting churches involved in the advocacy efforts. And so that kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, that it really does take all of us. So um, before we um, end this discussion, I'd like to make sure that we allow our panelists time for any final thoughts. And also this is the time for our panelists to um, highlight um, any initiatives or um, or uh, events that are going that's going on within that particular organization. So we want to make sure that we have time to lift that up. So Corey, what's going on with the NLACP, and do you have any final thoughts or comments on this topic of Medicaid expansion? And is there a coalition we can join to support? That was also a question that just came up. Sure. You know, yeah, a couple of things. One, you know, I encourage anybody who's interested in this issues and other issues. Uh, to join and become a member of the Mississippi NAACP. Uh, and yes, they're a coalition. We are part of coalitions across a number of other organizations uh, that's working on this. I see some of our friends from uh, Mississippi Center for Justice, Justice Linda Dixon, who's a, a health advocate, health lawyer, doing some amazing work over at the Mississippi Center for Justice. Uh, just some other things I would, you know, continue to remind everybody to be vigilant and practice social distancing and masks. Uh, as we continue to deal with uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. And lastly, uh, some exciting work that we're doing at the NAACP uh, that we are trying to make sure that people know uh, about is around the rental assistance program. There, you know, we've, we've been talking about healthcare, but housing is connected to healthcare and healthcare access, um, and particularly around people who are housing insecure. Uh, there was a federal program that allowed funding uh, for those folks who have been struggling with rent. Uh, and we have been working with our local units, NAACP units, and other communities to host rental assistance clinics. We, we've done some in, in Washington County, Sunflower County, Harrison County. Uh, so I encourage folks who have questions, who need information about that, to contact us with the NAACP, uh, at the NAACP office uh, with any questions and follow us on Facebook because we've been posting a lot of information about those clinics happening. Particularly, make sure folks have access to resources to support them with 
Thank you, Corey. So I hope everyone caught that about how to be involved in and in, um, in work um, that the NAACP is currently doing. And Dr. Melvin, um, what about the Institute for the Advancement of Minority Health? Are there any events or uh, issues that you would like to highlight? And do you have any final thoughts regarding this discussion on Medicaid expansion? Well, our biggest initiative right now is the initiative that probably everyone is focused on right now. We have a COVID-19 emergency response program. And what we do with that is we uh, distribute um, uh, PPE out to people who need it. And I know the kids have gone back to school, so masks may be something that everyone needs right now. Um, but the other thing that I think is really important and th these things are a collaboration with the Mississippi State Conference of the NAACP. They are a partner on this and we are doing vaccine clinics. So if an organization is interested in hosting a vaccine clinic so that we can get as many people vaccinated as possible, you can contact me at um, smelvin at advancingminorityhealth.org and contact me and we will work through the logistics for you. We work closely with the Department of Health to get the vaccines and other health care facilities. I think right now as we talk about Medicaid expansion, it's important to realize that those people with underlying conditions are at the most risk for the worst health outcomes if they contract COVID-19. And so your best defense is vaccination. And so if there is anything that we can do to help you get vaccinated, or if your organization or community wants to have a vaccination event, please do not hesitate to contact me. And if you um, let us know who you are, we'll contact you. But right now, that is our focus, getting these, um, these vaccine clinics done. As of right now, we have actually vaccinated um, at least 200 people in the state through our efforts right now. And it's only nine of us in this organization in collaboration with the state uh, health, state uh, conference of the NAACP. So we are working. We've only been doing this for a couple of months, but with numbers that are 3,000 uh, people getting COVID-19 a day or being diagnosed with COVID-19 each day is not over a couple of days. Yesterday it was 3,000 people. Today it's probably gonna be that same number. And I just saw an, an article that said the University of Mississippi Medical Center is about to open a, their um, do makeshift hospitals in their parking garage. So this is a pandemic. This is an emergency. And so we want to get as many people vaccinated as we can. And I, I see a question about requirements for the church. There are no requirements. If you have a location, if you have people who are willing to help us to set it up, we will work with you to set it up. And I'm sure we can probably get this information in the chat, but Dr. Melvin, can you provide your contact information again and how um, how how people may be able to reach you? Yes, it's S-M-E-L-V as in Victor, I-N, at advancingminorityhealth.org. Thank you so much, Dr. Melvin. And Corey, just one more time so we make sure people get it. Can you um, let everyone know how a community can best reach the NAACP? Sure. Uh, well, folks can call uh, or, well, one, folks can visit our website, NAACPMS.org, uh, and our contact information and our office number is there. Uh, if folks are trying to reach me directly, they can contact me at cwiggins, C-W-I-G-G-I-N-S at NAACPMS.org. Uh, and just lifting up something that Dr. Melvin mentioned, uh, it is important uh, for folks to, you know, we're, we're willing to work with anybody. So if community partners uh, are interested in hosting vaccination clinics, we love partnering uh, with Dr. Melvin and the Institute, uh, and we love our local units partnering with other community-based groups on the ground and in churches. And I think ultimately, at the end of the day, that's how we're going to address this. We're going to have we we are finding that we are having to take on for ourselves, our community taking on ourselves to make sure that our community is protected. Well, thank you so much. I want to take this opportunity and this time to thank both of our panelists, Dr. Sandra Melvin and Dr. Corey Wiggins, for all the great insight that they provided on this topic. When we talk about why Mississippi needs Medicaid expansion, we're talking about you know, moral issues that it just being a moral right for people to have um, health insurance, to have health coverage. We're talking about um, some of the economic incentives to do that, about 
Um, we're talking about the state economy as well as um, individual economic incentives um, that will benefit all Mississippians. And then we're talking about a general public health issue and the fact that um, Medicaid expansion uh, will benefit everyone um, health-wise. And so it's, it's, it's incumbent upon all of us to ensure that Medicaid expansion gets passed in Mississippi. And our panelists have talked about ways to do that. And, um, and we've had a wide variety of insight into what the benefits are for the state of Mississippi. So thank you again to Dr. Melvin and Dr. Wiggins. I also like to again thank our sponsors, One Voice, the Mississippi State Conference NAACP, and the Institute for the Advancement of Minority Health for sponsoring this great event. And I'd like to thank our producer, Ayanna Kennel, who's the Communications Director for One Voice, for um, making sure we get to you all and we get to the people. So I hope that um, as community members that we all keep in touch, that you follow um, One Voice, Mississippi State Conference, NAACP, and the Institute for Investment and Minority Health. Keep in touch, stay involved, and stay active because there's a lot of things going on in the state right now in terms of public policy issues, and there are a lot of great organizations who are putting that putting in the work to make sure that communities have the resources and tools they need to advocate for themselves. So thank you again, all of you, for joining this um, Mississippi Speaks conversation, and we hope that you're available to join the next one. Kyra. Hey, Kyra. Hey, I missed something. Oh.